Contemplations before chanting. The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that the collective energy of mindfulness can bring us together as an organism, flowing as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, listen as one body, chant as one body, transcending the boundaries of a delusive self liberating us from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
The heart of perfect understanding. The Bodhisattva Avalokita. Why moving in the deep course of perfect understanding? Shed light on the five skandhas and found them equally empty. After this penetration, he overcame you being. Listen, Shariputra, form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. Form is not other than emptiness. Emptiness is not other than form. The same is true with feelings, perceptions, mental formations and consciousness. Listen, Shariputra, all dhammas are marked with emptiness. They are neither produced nor destroyed, neither defiled nor immaculate, neither increasing nor decreasing. Therefore, in emptiness there is neither form, nor feelings, nor perceptions, nor mental formations, nor consciousness. No eye, or ear, or nose, or tongue, or body, or mind. No form, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no object of mind. No realms of elements from mind to mind consciousness. No interdependent origins and no extinction of them. From ignorance to death and decay. No ill-being, no cause of ill-being. No end of ill-being and no path. No understanding and no attainment. Because there is no attainment, the Bodhisattva Yeah.
Our children are invited to come close to Thay. This uh, looks like a happy moment. You think that this is a happy moment? I think so. Dear Sangha, uh, good morning. Today is the 28th of August in the year 2013. And we are in Brookleaf Monastery on our fourth day of the retreat, the Art of Suffering. President Obama is giving a speech in Washington at this time at the Lincoln Memorial. And he asked uh, every American today to ring the bell. And uh, the title of his speech today is uh, Let Freedom Ring. Because uh, 50 years ago, on this very day, the 28th of uh, August, Martin Luther King gave uh, a very famous speech at the Lincoln Memorial with the title, I Have a Dream. So four days ago, there was also a gathering in Washington, D.C. And Martin Luther King III and other leaders came also addressing the topic, how to realize the dream of King. He's, um, so to uh, President Obama wants that uh, today at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we will ring the bell uh, across America and across the continent also to remember that we have a dream to realize. There must be freedom and jobs for everyone. That is the dream. From time to time, I have a nice dream also. <laughs> I tell you one of them. It happened about 20 years ago when I was very young. It means uh, <laughs> I was something like 65, 66. <laughs> very young. And in that dream, I saw myself younger. I dreamt uh, that I was a university student, about 21 or 22. I think if you dream, you can get younger. <laughs> and uh, I was uh, 66, and I, in my dream, I saw myself as a young student of 21 or 22. And uh, that day, they informed me that I was accepted in a class of a very outstanding, illustrious professor of the university, the best in the university. I was so happy to, be, to, to, to have been selected to be in, sitting in that class. You cannot imagine my happiness because uh, there are so many students and I was one who was accepted to be in that class. 
I don't know. I have not seen that professor. But uh, they told me that uh, he is the most outstanding, wise, illustrious uh, kind of teacher. And uh, that morning I was to, to go to that class. I had to climb several floors in order to go to that class. And during the time I, uh, I tried to get up to that floor, I saw a young man of my age, 21 or 22, and he looked exactly like me. He is like another myself, another me, very strange. There is me here, but there is another me out there <laughs> and trying to get through the door. And I had uh, in mind the question as whether that young man can go, he has been accepted to the, to the class also. <laughs> so I asked the lady in the, in, in the office to see whether that young man who looks exactly like me, uh, has been accepted to be in the same class. And she said, no, 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 not him, not him. You, yes, but not him. I didn't understand. Because it took uh, a few weeks later that I began to understand the dream. But during that time, I didn't understand. Even after I woke up from the dream, I did not understand. So I left the office and I tried to climb. And halfway, I wonder what kind of subject this, this professor is teaching. And I learned that music is a professor of music. And I was very surprised because I'm, I was not a student of music. <laughs> and why should I? Uh, why I have been accepted as a student in that group, learning music, I could not understand. There are so many things you cannot understand. And then the, the next surprise is that when I open the door, it's a huge hall and not just a classroom. And there are more than 1,000 students Usually there is, uh, in such a class there is uh, 10 or 20 or 30, but this is a huge class. And looking through the window, I saw very beautiful landscapes. Cascades, uh, waterfalls, uh, mountain peaks covered with snow. It's like heaven. It was like an assembly of bodhisattvas in the Tushita heaven. That, that is, that, is my, that was my feeling to be accepted in that assembly of, uh, uh, of, uh, of students and teachers. And the next surprise that came is that they told me that I, that morning I had to give a presentation. <laughs> when the professor, professor came, I had to give a presentation. 
surprise after surprise. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I was not a student of music, and I had to do a presentation on music. So I, I got lost. I got lost. So I was trying to look around and put my hand into my pocket to find something that is uh, direction. And guess what? I touched something in my pocket. And that was a little bell. <laughs> and when I, I, I realized that what was in my pocket is a little bell, suddenly I regained confidence. Well, I can do something with the bell. Because as a monk, I have been playing with the bell a lot. <laughs> Seven, yes, 71 years of uh, being a monk, you have to, to know how to play with the bell. <laughs> you have to play the role of a bell master, you know? In order to ring the bell, you have to be a bell master. And of course, uh, the bell is uh, a music, an instrument of music. So I said, I can give a presentation when the professor comes. So I regained confidence. I was happy then. And then they tell me that the professor is coming is uh, coming in. And you guess what? In that moment, exactly in that moment, I woke up. <laughs> I could not see the, 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 the professor in person. And I did not understand either. So I woke up and I stayed very still in my bed, and I try to figure out what does it mean. I practice mindful breathing, and recall uh, every details of the dream, and I found out something. That young man who looked exactly like me, he was me. He couldn't, he, but he, he was a little bit behind me because uh, as a practitioner, you always uh, practice in order to, to get better, to get more freedom. So uh, because I have made efforts to practice, that is why I have left myself behind. I left myself behind. I overtook myself. So that student who looked exactly like me, he was me. I have left him behind because I have made some progress in the practice and get more freedom. And that is why I am accepted. And he is not, he was not accepted. That's what I understand. So in the process of uh, the practice, 
you have to to to, to bypass to to overcome yourself in order to be your better self and you leave your lesser self behind. Every day you have to be a new person. More freedom, more happiness. Otherwise there is no progress. That is what I understood with the dream. And to me that, that the class is an assembly of Bodhisattvas and the Buddha was about to, to come and give us a, a teaching. And that is why waking up, I regret very much that if I had a few more minutes in the dream, I would have seen the Buddha in person. (laughs) Since uh, President Obama wants us to ring the bell today, I want to tell you how we ring the bell in the Buddhist tradition. Please learn. You want to be a bell master, you have to learn. Because in the meditation tradition, the bell, the sound of the bell is a voice calling you back to your, your true home. Uh, you know that in Plum Village, or in this retreat, every time we hear the bell, we stop talking, we stop thinking, we begin to breathe in mindfully and enjoy our in-breath. We, we begin to, and we follow by breathing out and enjoy our out-breath. And we do that for three times. And the students and the children who come to Plum Village, they always learn how to be a bell master because we want them to be to know how to play with the bell at home. Because Thay has been playing with the bell 71 years. And he can do it pretty well now. When you invite the bell to sound, You make, make many people happy because at the sound of the bell, everyone stop talking, stop thinking, and enjoy breathing in and out and become peaceful and pleasant. And if there are 1,000 people breathing in and out and smile, well, the atmosphere is very nice, real nice. So, so it's good to be a bell master inviting the bell to sound so that everyone has the chance to, to be peace and to practice peace. We don't say, hit the bell. We, say, we don't say, strike the bell, but we say, invite the bell to sound. It's very nice. Because the bell is like a friend, and we invite him, we invite her to sound so that we can breathe in and out happily and peacefully. If you want to be a bell master, listen. You have to bow to the bell first. And you put the bell
on your left hand and you raise the hand on this level and you breathe. My hand has five fingers. It's like a lotus flower, a lotus flower with five petals. And the bell is like a jewel in the heart of the lotus. So beautiful. You may like to enjoy visualizing your hand as a lotus flower and uh, the little bell as uh, the heart of the flower, a jewel. Om Mani Padme Hum. Mani means jewel. Padme means in the lotus. And you breathe in. There is a verse that you have to memorize in order to breathe in and out with. And this verse is like this. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May those of you who listen to me awaken from your forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. You have to memorize the verse and you breathe in with the first line and you breathe out with the second line. And uh, a monk will write it down for you later on and I will let you borrow this uh, bell to practice today. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May those of you who listen to me for, uh, awaken from your forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. And after having breathed in and out two times like that, you are calm. You are qualified as a bell master. And then the next thing is to for you to wake up the bell by making a half sound, not a full sound, just a half sound, like this. You see? Like this. Half sound. And that is to warn people around you that a full sound is going to happen very soon. And so that people have the time to prepare themselves for the reception of the sound. They have to stop talking first, and stop thinking, relax their body, and wait for the full sound to come. Because the sound of the bell is considered to be the voice of the Buddha from within, calling you home. You have to be very respectful. So after you you make a wake-up sound, warning sound. You allow people enough time to prepare themselves. Stop thinking and stop talking. I think about eight seconds may be enough. Three seconds for breathing in and three seconds for breathing out in order to stop talking, stop thinking, and relax the body. I think uh, eight seconds is the minimum. If you are generous, you give them 10 seconds.
And after that full sound, everyone, including you, the bear master, has a chance to practice three times, deep breathing in and out. And you breathe with a short yata, a short verse. I listen, I listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. I listen, I listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home three times. And you have to measure the time. If you are a young person, and then your in-breath and out-breath will be shorter than the in-breath and out-breath of the adult. So after you have finished your three in-breath and out-breath, you give them some extra times so that they can enjoy fully their three in-breath and out-breath. I listen, I listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. You are very kind to allow people enough time to enjoy their full three in-breath and out-breath because there is peace, there is a joy, tranquility, and that's very nice to produce that energy of peace and happiness uh, where you are. And when you have finished your three in-breath and out-breath, you are allowed a few extra seconds. I, I, I suggest that you breathe in and out once more. So four of your in-breath and out-breath will be equal to their three in-breath and out-breath. Let us be generous because you are offering peace. And then after that, you produce the second full sound. And everyone has a chance to enjoy again three times of in-breath and out-breath. And then after that, the third full sound. And after you have finished, you lower your bell and you put it on its cushion. The bell is in a sitting position, meditation. The children have seen Thay inviting the small bell in the morning during walking meditation. It does like this. Remember, the petal should not, should not embrace like that because if, if it is so and then the sound cannot go out, the petal has to bloom like this. For this big bell, you cannot put into your hand, it's so heavy. <laughs> so you allow it to, to, be, to be sitting on its cushion and you hold, this is not a stick, this is a, the inviter of the bell. And you do like this. And you breathe, body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all of you who listen to us awaken from your forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is the opposite of mindfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. You are qualified, of rebel master, and you offer the half sound, so people can have the chance to prepare themselves.
and after eight seconds, you produce the first full sound. And uh, the sound should be gentle, peaceful, beautiful, and powerful. And it takes time to learn. And I suggest that you don't go directly in like, like, like that. You go in a parable where you, you do like you, you are helping the sound to swap up like this. So the sound is like a bird uh, soaring up. Now I like to uh, to sum up on the on the whiteboard. Remember, look here. Holding the bell. You practice breathing in and out. Two times. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all of you who listen to me awaken from your forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. And then you offer the half sound warning people that a full sound is going to happen very soon so that they can prepare themselves. And you give them about eight seconds or 10. So you have the chance to breathe in and out once more before you invite the bell to offer a full sound. And after the full sound, everyone has a chance to breathe in and out three more times. I listen, I listen, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. I listen, I listen, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. You breathe in such a way that peace, happiness is possible. You enjoy breathing in and out. And then, if you are a young person, after you have finished your three in-breath and out-breath, you make another one because the adults are still enjoying their three in-breath and out-breath. After the second full sound, everyone enjoy three more in-breath and out-breath. Listen, I listen, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. And then the last full sound, and everyone has a chance to breathe in and out three more times. And after that, you, are fin you, you finish, you have, you have uh, done your job as a bellmaster, you lower your bell or, and you bow to your bell. And I would like to suggest this. Try to invite a bell home a small bell. In the morning, before starting to school and to work, 
It's very nice that the whole family sit down and enjoy breathing with three sounds of the bell. I'd like you to do that because we can begin our day with peace and unity. And uh, in the evening before going to sleep, the whole family sit down and enjoy three sounds of the bell, breathing in and out to feel peaceful. And you may arrange a small room in your house. That is a mini mini meditation hall in your home. You only need a place for a few cushions and uh, the place for the bell. And you can also uh, have one pot of flour with only one flower is enough. And that is, uh, that is the mini meditation hall in your house. And every time the atmosphere in the family is not peaceful enough, someone is irritated, someone is crying, and any of you in the family, whether you are young or adult, you have the, sh- the right to go to the bell and invite the bell to sound. Because uh, the family has to sign a treaty, a peace treaty, that every time the bell is heard, everyone has to stop talking, thinking, and enjoy in breath and our breath three times. The family has sit down, had to sit down and agree with each other that every time there is the sound of the bell in the house, everyone, including children, stop talking, stop thinking, and enjoy uh, breathing in and out three times. You know that when I was in India visiting the the, the president of uh, the National Assembly, Mr. Narayan. I proposed him, proposed to him to do that in the National Assembly of India. I said that when the atmosphere is too hot, people don't listen to each other anymore. People try to talk at the same time, and then the president or someone else has the right to invite the bell. And everyone has to stop breathing in and out until the atmosphere of the assembly gets calm and quiet again. And he was very excited. He wanted to do so. Um, And after I met him, I went to to a retreat. And uh, during the retreat, someone brought me a newspaper announcing that the president of the of the parliament has appointed uh, someone to form a committee of ethics in order to take care of that uh, spiritual aspect of the life of the national assembly. So he was trying to do what he suggested. Every session of the Congress should begin by a short meditation. Dear colleagues, someone will read, our people have elected us into this house. 
We have to listen to each other. We have to use loving speech so that together we can make the kind of law that can serve the country the best. And that is one thing. The second thing is that when the atmosphere is not calm enough, and then the bell of mindfulness should be run. If you are a congressman, <laughs> propose that to <laughs> About uh, one or two months after, he was uh, elected to be the president of India. So he did not have the chance to realize that uh, that project. And uh, when you you are not peaceful, and you want to cry when you are irritated. You go to that small room in your house, you close the door gently, you sit down on your cushion, you invite the bell to sound, and you breathe three times with each sound. And when you invite the bell to sound and breathe like that, everyone in the house will do the same. Mommy in the kitchen, she is cutting carrots, she hears the sound, she knows that her child is practicing. So she stopped cutting carrot and she enjoyed breathing in and out. And father is uh, on, in his desk writing something. He hear the sound. He said he remembered that his child is practicing peace. So he stopped and he enjoyed practicing. That is the most beautiful uh, uh, landscape you can see. And you can bring that atmosphere, that beauty into your house just by inviting uh, a small bell home and practice. There will be peace, there will be harmony, there will be beauty in your home. And I think every, every home in the 21st century should have such a mini meditation hall in the house and a bell. That is civilization. <laughs> now the children, when you hear the small bell, you stand up and you face the Sangha and you salute the Sangha uh, before going out. Remember, 3 o'clock this afternoon, we have to ring the bell for Martin Luther King, for Obama, for the people of America and the world to remember that we have to be together. We have to wake up. We have to produce the energy of brotherhood and sisterhood. Join your palms. Bow. Have a good day.
When I was uh, a young monk, I also had a dream, a wish, much smaller than the dream of Martin Luther King, was very dear to me. I wanted to build a Sangha, and where there is a brotherhood, sisterhood, living together. Because I had the intuition that you cannot do anything, you cannot realize, you cannot realize anything without a sangha. And we know that the Buddha himself, Shakyamuni, after enlightenment, the first thing he tried to do is to go and build a sangha. Without a sangha, a Buddha cannot do much. Even a Buddha cannot do much. So my dream is uh, to build a Sangha, a real Sangha, a true Sangha, where is uh, harmony and happiness. And uh, my conviction is that if the Sangha has uh, unity, harmony and happiness, it can do everything it wants. It did not precise something like uh, national independence, uh, equality, freedom, jobs. It did not uh, uh, have precise ideas like that. But uh, there is a deep conviction if there is a Sangha, there is a community where harmony, brotherhood, sisterhood, and happiness is, and then we can do a lot of things. Fifty years ago, uh, Martin Luther King gave that uh, famous uh, speech in Washington, D.C. I have a dream. And today, exactly 50 years after. I went through many wars, 
The first war is between the Vietnamese and the French, and the second is between the Vietnamese and Americans. And I saw a lot of destruction. And the fact that I am still sitting here today is a miracle because uh, many of us have died during the war, including monks and nuns. Many of us uh, try to serve in the non-violent uh, movement, trying to help refugees set up, uh, setting up uh, 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 refugee camps and helping people to survive during the war, caring for the victims of uh, war, and helping uh, people who are so poor. We had uh, the School of Youth for Social, social Service, uh, where young monks, nuns, and lay people uh, learn and try to help uh, in the situation of war. And many of us got killed. Many students of mine, monks, nuns, and lay people get killed during their service. They threw a grenade into my room, and I was, I, I was not killed. The, uh, the curtain uh, 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 pushed it back on the next door. My dream is to build a Sangha. And when the country was divided into north and south, the north uh, was uh, communist, the south is anti-communist. That's when <clears throat> the United States of America become involved in Vietnam. So there is a lot of uh, confusion in the mind of young people, including the monks and the nuns. They don't know where we go because uh, there are two kinds of ideologies opposing each other, capitalism, uh, communism. And where is, where are, where do we have to stand? So uh, in that uh, state of confusion, the administration of the Buddhist Institute asked me to come and help. And I had the first occasion to organize a Sangha according to my vision. And I continue uh, uh, to, to uh, reflect on the art of uh, uh, building a Sangha. During the during the the war, workers of the school of youth or social service have to engage themselves in very dangerous situations. And we try to set up a center of practice so that uh, after a few months of uh, of work, they have a chance to withdraw and rebuild themselves, uh, recover. Uh, their peace, heal themselves in order to be sent again uh, uh, to serve. 
And we know that the practice center is very important for our social workers. And many of us have died. Many of us have uh, had been deeply wounded by the war. In uh, June the 1st, 65, I wrote to Martin Luther King a letter. That was when I was working in the School of Youth for Social Service. I had built uh, the first uh, Buddhist university in uh, Vietnam, uh, Van Han University. Van Han is the name of a Zen teacher. <clears throat> in the 11th century. I wrote to King about uh, the self-immolation of the monks in Vietnam. Because both uh, warring parties wanted to fight to the end. And we are caught in the middle. We don't want the war. What we wanted is the cessation of hostilities. And uh, we, do not, we did not have a voice. We did not have magazine, radio, television. So our voice is lost in the bombs and in the uh, in the anger, in the fear. And that is why sometimes we have to burn ourselves alive in order to get the message across. Thích Quang Đức burn himself to say that we want peace. We want the stopping of the killing. And only when we burn ourselves like that, and the New York Times, the Associated Press, our writers will write about that. And that's why from time to time we have to burn ourselves as a means for communication. We did not have newspaper. We did not have radio. So I wrote to King explaining the meaning of the self-immolation. That is not an act of violence. That is an act of sacrifice in order to to <clears throat> to help uh, uh, to help. Uh, Um, the the awakening of the world about the suffering of the people in Vietnam. And I told him that uh, our struggle for peace in Vietnam um, has the same nature with the struggle in America for for human rights, for civil rights. And exactly One, one year after I wrote the letter, I wrote the letter in June 1st, 65. And June 1st, 66, I met King in Chicago. Cornell University invited me to come and give uh, a series of talks about the situation uh, in Southeast Asia. And I had a chance to, to tour in America to talk about 
the suffering of Vietnamese people. We do not want the war. We want peace. The police officer, when um, gave me the passport, he said, don't say anything about peace. <laughs> and my only purpose of going to America is to talk about peace. So I just kept silent. And uh, we conversed with each other in Chicago. And he came out after that against the war in Vietnam. The last time we met is in Geneva, in a conference for peace for past cemeteries, peace on earth. He stayed on the 11th floor of, a, of the building, and I was in the first floor. He invited me to come the next day for breakfast. And that morning I was caught by a few journalists, so I, I came late. And he kept uh, the breakfast warm for me. That is our last meeting before he got killed. And I was able to tell him that uh, the people in Vietnam admire him and call him a Bodhisattva, a great being. He was pleased to, to hear that. And we discuss about Sangha building. Because we know that without the Sangha, we cannot go very far. And the expression that he uses is the beloved community. The beloved community. I was in New York when King was assassinated. I was angry. And I got sick after that. <laughs> and I told myself that uh, King is gone. I have to continue. So I vowed that I will continue the work of Sangha building. Because without the Sangha, we cannot do much. We follow the example of the Buddha. And uh, I could not go home because I, have, uh, I had spoken out for peace and they did not go uh, allow me to go home anymore. And I had to be in exile for 40 years. 40 years in exile. I was uh, evicted out of my Sangha. And I, uh, it's like a cell in the body taken out of the body. If we, I, I did not practice well, and then I will dry up like a bee without a beehive. So since uh, Vietnam is at war with America, I cannot take refuge in America. So I asked for asylum, uh, political asylum in, uh, in France. So I started to be with Sangha. We started an office working for peace. And he began the practice of sitting, working, meditation, and so on. Our office is uh, uh, in the Rue de la Gutendorf in, uh, in Paris. 
And in the beginning, we did not have a place to practice sitting meditation. We had to uh, to ask the Quaker Center in Paris to allow us uh, to use it, to make use of it for, for sitting meditation. I was prevented to go back to Vietnam. There was one time when I was in America, touring the country and speaking about peace. Uh, someone from the Baltimore Sun came to me and said, Do you know something, Thai? The government of Vietnam just uh, informed uh, France, the uh, United States of America, and Great Britain that my passport is no longer valid. They should not, they should not honor that passport anymore. They invalidate my passport so that I cannot go around and speak about peace anymore. And uh, that journalist asked me whether I'd like to go on hiding in myself. Uh, Sister Tiong Kong was in Costa Rica uh, doing the same thing, uh, speaking about peace. I asked her to to come uh, and prepare so that I, I, when I land in Paris, people, uh, they, they will deport me to, to Vietnam in order to go in, in jail. So, yeah, so that I could uh, take uh, political asylum in France. And uh, during the, the 40 years, uh, Outside of in exile, uh, I tried my best to be with Sangha. And now there is uh, a monastic Sangha of about uh, eight or nine hundred. And a lay Sangha, we don't know how many. Uh, you are part of my Sangha. There are more than 1,000 uh, communities, communities of mindful living across. Uh, continents. And uh, we, have, uh, we have trained uh, monastic Dharma teachers, we have trained uh, lay Dharma teachers, and uh, we have uh, practice centers uh, many places. And uh, uh, the Sangha, the work of Sangha building has not stopped since that time. Now uh, the practice of mindfulness uh, began to penetrate into the mainstream. We have trained many um, school teachers so that they can bring that practice into school and help uh, the students to suffer less. Uh, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, social workers, psychotherapists, many of them have been using the practice in order to improve their, um, their practice. And uh, we have uh, elaborated the practice of uh, global ethics uh, so that everyone, regardless of uh, religion, nationality, uh, uh, can make use of it. How to 
release the tension in the body, how to produce a feeling of joy, of happiness, how to handle a painful feeling, a painful emotion, how to restore communication and reconcile. All these kind of things can be done without um, uh, asking someone to become a Buddhist or so. So this is uh, what the Sangha has, uh, has done in the last uh, many years. Of course, the dream of uh, maternity king includes uh, freedom, social justice, civil rights, jobs. But we know that uh, we need more than that. We need peace inside of us and around us. We need peace in, in ourselves, in our family in our community, in our nation. And the practice of mindfulness should be able to help us uh, uh, cultivate more peace in our daily life. Today we will ring the bell according to the wish of uh, President Obama, but our way of ringing the bell is a little bit different. Because uh, with the bell, we have to go home to ourselves and take good care of ourselves and restore peace inside. We know how to handle a painful feeling, a painful emotion. Because uh, the bell, according to our tradition, help us to go home, to go back to our true home and to restore peace and to communicate with uh, ourselves. Before we can communicate well with people in our family, before we can communicate well with uh, our planet. Because the direction of our civilization is in the opposite way. We get away from ourselves. We get away from our family. We get away from nature. And that is why the bell should be able to bring us back to ourselves to our beloved ones and to our dear planet Earth. And that is uh, really the dream. And we cannot realize that until, uh, unless we have a Sangha. The other day we spoke about four kinds of uh, nutrients. And some of us want to want to know what they are. There is a there is a sutra called Sun's Flesh. Teaching about the four kinds of nutrients, because uh, that is the content of the fifth mindfulness training, mindful consumption. 
if we want to be healthy, if we want to heal the world, we have uh, to practice the fifth uh, mindfulness training, mindful consumption. The Buddha told the monks the story of a couple, a young couple of refugees. The couple wanted to flee the country. And they brought with them their little boy. And halfway crossing the desert, they run out of food. And they knew that they are going to die. And after much reflection, they make a terrible decision to kill the boy and eat the flesh so that they can survive in order to get to the other country seeking for asylum. This must, must have been a true story told by the Buddha, by that couple. After having eaten one piece of that flesh, they beat their, their chest, they pull their hair, and they, they ask, where is now our beloved uh, little boy? And they kept the rest of the, of the body of the child on the shoulder to dry uh, in the sun. And finally, they got out of the desert and got accepted as uh, refugees. So after having told the, the monks that story, the Buddha asked them, my dear friends, do you think that the couple enjoy eating their son's flesh? And the monks said, no, dear teacher, it's impossible to enjoy eating the flesh of your own child. The Buddha said, in that case, we should learn to eat in such a way that we, that we will not eat the flesh of our own children. We should eat in such a way that can preserve compassion in our heart. And that is a subject of meditation for all of us in this society of consum consumption. We know that uh, tens of uh, thousands of uh, children die every day for the lack of uh, food and of nutrition. And we have been using grains in order to make alcohol and uh, make meat. We have been cutting forest. We have been polluting the air, the water in order to make meat. The meat industry has destroyed much of our planet. So that uh, liquor, if you drink mindfully, it is uh, the blood of your child. If they use that amount, huge amount of grain to feed the children, to feed the world, 
children will not die by tens of thousands every day. We learned that uh, eating, the eating of meat is uh, more polluting than the driving of a car. And uh, we have been told by scientists that to reduce the eating of meat and the drinking of alcohol by 50% can already change the world. In, uh, in Vietnam, there are many Buddhists who observe the 10 days of uh, uh, eating vegetarian only. And I have written a letter asking them to, to make it into 15, 15 days to meet with that, car, uh, that uh, request. And it's easy enough. And if you know how to cook uh, vegetarian food, go. You, you know that it's uh, very good also, healthy. You get healthier if you eat less meat. This is uh, the truth. So eating in such a way, drinking in such a way that can still preserve compassion in your heart, that is the advice of the Buddha. Without compassion, you cannot, we cannot relate to another living being. Without compassion, we are completely cut off. That is why eating in such a way that you will not eat the sons and our daughters of our, of our own. And that is uh, the first uh, kind of nutriment called edible food. The second uh, source of nutriment is uh, sensory impression. You consume with your eye, like television, like uh, movies, like uh, magazines, like uh, books. You consume with your ears, your nose, your body, and your mind. And many of the items, of the items you consume are highly toxic. It's a lot of fear, anger, craving, despair. And if you consume like that, you intoxicate yourself. You destroy your body and your mind. Happiness is not possible anymore. 
I remember that day uh, I was invited uh, as the guest editor of uh, the Times of India in New Delhi. And uh, at the meeting this morning, uh, we learned that there was a bombing by a terrorist, and many people died. And other, other editors asked me, dear Thay, what should we do, journalists, in a morning like this, when we, when we, when we receive bad news like that? And I remember I did not give an answer right away. I had to practice my own breathing. And finally I said that, dear friends, we have to report. Our duty is to report to the people what has happened. But we have uh, to report in such a way that promote understanding and compassion. We tell the truth in such a way that will not water the seed of anger and fear in people. There are many ways of reporting on the same kind of uh, event. And the journalist, if she has uh, or he has uh, the element of understanding as how people like to do such a thing, looking deeply. And if uh, the journalist has compassion, because uh, if she has understanding, she will have compassion even with the terrorists. There's a lot of anger, uh, despair, violence in him. Nobody has helped him. The terrorists did not have peace and understanding and love. So if the journalist had, has enough understanding and compassion, he will be able to report the event in such a way that to water the seed of understanding and compassion in the readers. Otherwise, he will water the seed of anger and fear and despair, and that will be very, very destructive. So the article that we read in the magazine can be toxic, can be full of poisons if the journalist doesn't know how to report. Because the, the journalist might be overwhelmed by anger and fear. And he or she might report in that state of, of mind. And if every day we consume fear, anger, craving, despair like that, we cannot continue. And that is why the second a source of nutriment, sensory impression, is very important. When you drive through the city, you consume advertisements and so on. Uh, even when you have a conversation, you consume. The conversation, what the other person say, may be full of anger and hate. And if you listen for one hour, you get that toxin in you if you don't know how to protect yourself with mindfulness. And if you are a psychotherapist, you have to listen to many stories of sadness 
of suffering. And if you don't know how to protect you with the uh, initial mindfulness, you'll be sick also after a number of years and cannot continue. That is why the second source of nutriment is very important. If we have got a depression because we have consumed in such a way that makes the depression become a reality. And uh, the Buddha gave uh, the image of a cow with skin disease. The cow does not have any means to protect herself. So when she lay down, and then small insects will come from the soil, will come and suck the blood. The cow, if the cow goes close to an uh, ancient wall or an ancient tree, uh, tiny creatures in the tree, in the bark of the tree, will come and, and suck the blood. So if you do not have mindfulness, and then these things will penetrate into us, our body and to our mind, and we get the tox toxins, we get the poisons. Just drive into the city, you consume from what you see and what you hear. And that is why uh, we have to set up a strategy for consum consumption so that we can protect ourselves, our family, and so on. When our children uh, watch television, they consume. When they play electronic uh, games, they consume. And they may get a lot of uh, violence, uh, fear, anger, by uh, doing so. So you have to sit down as a family and discuss about a strategy of consumption to, to protect ourselves. And if you are uh, in the city council, if you are in the Congress, uh, you may like to reflect on that. Because the happiness of a people, of a country, depends very much on the way the people consume. And in the name of freedom, uh, they have uh, created many items of consumption full of toxins. And if you make uh, the kind of law prohibiting that kind of products, that will help uh, children and adults alike. The third uh, source of nutriment is volition. Volition, the 
is the kind of wish, is the is kind of deepest wish, deepest desire that you have. It's like a, uh, your deepest wish, your deepest desire, maybe building a sangha, and that is a good, a good volition, good food. Every one of us has a deep wish. We want to do something with our life. What is the purpose of our life? We want to do something. Maybe our father, our grandfather, our grandmother had, uh, had a dream. They wanted to do something. They cannot do it, and then we can do it for them. What do I want to do with my life? Running after fame, power, money, and sex. Is that my deepest wish? I have to ask myself. Many people running after these objects of desire, of craving, destroy their body and their mind. And even when they have plenty of these things, they are not truly happy. They are very famous people, wealthy people, but they are suffer. They suffer very deeply. So, is that my my true volition, my true desire? We have to find out what is our deepest desire. The deepest desire of a terrorist is to punish, and to punish, maybe in the name of God, for those people they believe to be evil. So that kind of uh, volition, that kind of desire comes from a kind of uh, perception. Your wrong perceptions may, may bring you, uh, may, uh, may bring about uh, hate, anger, and despair. And these elements are very needed for a terrorist to succeed. If uh, that terrorist is helped by another person to look deeply, to see that uh, on the other side, they, they, uh, they suffer exactly on our side. They need help and not punishment. If you understand our own suffering, and then you can understand the suffering of the other person much more easily. And understanding suffering, compassion arises, and no anger, no fear is possible anymore. And you cannot be a terrorist anymore. So if a terrorist keeps being a terrorist because no one has helped him or her to, to understand herself, and the other person, the one she wants to, to punish. You cannot remove terrorism with guns and bombs. You can only re remove it with uh, understanding and compassion. So if you have the desire to protect children from abuse, sexual abuse, to protect children from dying, 
hunger, and that is good uh, volition. And that among many other veterans, and uh, we offer him a session so that he can tell us about his his. And it took him a lot of efforts and many days in order to tell us what had been bothering him for many years after going back to America. In Vietnam, his image had been destroyed by the guerrillas. So he was very angry. And he wanted to do retaliation. So he came back to that village with a bag of sandwich. And there is explosive inside the sandwich. He wanted to punish the people in the village because, uh, because the killing of his, um, uh, uh, his friends who took place in that place. And he hided himself. And he saw five children came out and discovered the sandwich. And they enjoyed eating the sandwich. And after that, he began to, to cry and to show the symptoms of sickness. And their mother came out and tried to help, but they did not know how to help. The next, uh, the next uh, city uh, where there is a hospital is uh, one day of, uh, of driving away. And he knew that there is no way to save these five children. They are going to die. And with, with that, kind, that kind of image, he went back to America and suffered many years, many years. And he could not tell the story to anyone except his mother. And his mother tried to help my son. Things like that happened in war. But that did not help him. Every time he found himself sitting in a room with a few children, he cannot, he could not stand it. He had to run out right away. And uh, he had a psychotherapist help him, but uh, he, he could not help him. So he came to our retreat, and that day he was able to tell the truth. So I took him for a for a walk, and I said that, yes, you have killed five children. And you suffer for that. But you can do something in order to wipe out that kind of mistakes. There are many children who are dying every day now, even in America. And with, uh, you are still young, you are intelligent, you can do something in order to have five children not to die today. There are children who need only one tablet of medicine in order to be saved. And you can be the one bringing to that child a tablet of medicine in order for that child to survive. Why don't you do that with, uh, with uh, your time, your energy, and stay there and suffer? Do something. Uh, correct the past with the present moment and he found a way out.
and he tried to practice according to that. And uh, he healed himself. Uh, he married a dentist in England and set up uh, a household and live uh, normally like uh, other people. So, volition is the kind of food. If you have the desire to help, the, the desire to heal, the, the desire to protect, and then you have that uh, amount of energy that helps you to be alive, and that, that energy will heal you. There is a Bodhisattva called uh, Shittigatma. He has a great aspiration. He wants to go to dark, the darkest uh, spots of the world in order to help. And because of that vow, great vow, he is full of energy. So if you have a volition, if you have uh, a deep wish to serve, and then you will be full of energy. And that energy will begin to heal you. Even if you, you are someone that has been violated, uh, abused when you were a child. If you want to make the vow to help protect children from abuse, and then you get that kind of uh, energy called a aspiration, wish, volition, and you'll be very active, and that uh, energy in you, that is that energy in you that will heal you. That is the third kind of nutrient. So every one of us has to sit down and find out what is our deepest desire, what we want to do with our life. The Buddha also had a deep desire to free himself and help uh, other people to suffer less. That is a good uh, nutriment. And then the fourth uh, element of uh, food, the fourth uh, is uh, consciousness. Consciousness as food. There are materials in our own consciousness. And we tend to go back to ourselves and consume that materials that are not healthy. Suppose uh, you have suffered as a young person, you had been abused. You had been humiliated by someone. Someone has left you on the face. You suffer silently. And every time you think of, of it, you suffer. And there is a dark place in our consciousness where the films of the past continue to be projected. And then those of us who want to always go back to the past, 
and watch the film and suffer. They have become, they have become a prisoner of the past. They, they do not have the capacity of living in the present moment, where there is light, uh, bird songs, a blue sky, and all the wonders of life, because they are caught in the prison of the past. You are a good practitioner. You can help him or her getting out and be in the present moment full of light and joy. You tell him or her that that's not the, the kind of good food for you, always ruminating that kind of food. There are animals like cows, buffaloes, they have many stomachs. And after having, after having chewed uh, uh, the grass, they swallow, and then bring it out again, and they chew again, ruminating. There are so many of us who keep ruminating the dark things, the unhealthy things without our consciousness. We don't know how to transform them, and we continue to ingest them. And that source of food comes from our own consciousness. So as a good practitioner, we should learn how to transform that dark spot, making the mud into the lotus. And we should not try to go back to that corner, dark corner, where the fumes of uh, suffering of the past is always project, projected. And you can help a person in that situation by, by inviting him or her to get out and learn how to be in the present moment. And consciousness is also collective consciousness. If you happen to move to a new, uh, to a neighborhood where people are very uh, angry, violent, fearful, you are going to consume a lot of uh, toxins. We know that uh, when anger and fear and despair become a collective energy, it's very dangerous. And there are, there are neighborhoods that are full of uh, anger and fear and despair. And if uh, you wake up and recon realize that you are in such a neighborhood, you have to pull out as quickly as you could. You have to protect yourself. You have to heal yourself first before you can go back and help them. And the best way, and maybe the only way to help them is to come back with the Sangha. So a collective uh, energy of uh, mindfulness and of peace, of compassion, can heal people. But the collective energy of hate and anger is very destructive. And therefore, uh, that kind of uh, food, collective consciousness, we have to be aware, we have to consume. When we come to a retreat like this, and as we hear the bell, we practice mindful breathing, mindful smiling, 
allowing mindfulness, concentration, and compassion to arise. We generate that collective energy of compassion and peace, which are good for us to consume, good for the children to consume. But when we happen to be in a group full of anger and fear, that collective energy is very toxic. And that is the fourth kind of determinants that we have to reflect on. If you want to change the world, you want to change uh, your city, your family, your country, you have to reflect on the four kind of nutrients. I think politicians should, should know about that, about this, if they really want to serve their own country. Tomorrow we have a session of questions and answers. The Sangha, I suggest that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the Dharma teacher will invite the bell to sound three rounds. And every one of us, wherever we find ourselves in, practice listening the way we have uh, learned this morning, responding to Martin Luther King, responding to the President Obama. We want to go deep and the ringing of the bell should bring peace in the here and the now. Should um, should bring uh, and brotherhood during the time we listen to the bell. That is the uh, best way to to ring the bell and and to listen to the bell.